Afternoon, everyone. Appreciate uh, Hugh and Sonia giving us a vivid description uh, to meditate on while we took the bread and the wine. Uh, a decomposing maggot-filled possum uh, is probably an accurate description uh, of, uh, of my sinful heart for sure. Uh, I appreciate them coming all the way from Sydney. Uh, they're great friends there. They serve uh, in the church in the Sydney church as deacons. Uh, help looking after the young people uh, and in various things. They've done heaps with Kids Kingdom there. Uh, Hugh plays bass, guitar in the, uh, well, used to. He's taking a little break from that. Uh, but it's great to have them here. Make sure you hang out with them today and uh, encourage them to love Perth more and more. Uh, that's, as, that's as clear as I can make it. <laughs> they do love Perth already. Uh, a couple uh, announcements, obviously, what's coming up. Um, uh, this coming Friday, uh, the dip will be meeting here at 7.30. Uh, the Little Dippers, I think they're going to Latitude. Uh, sorry, Daniel. Daniel's got a broken wrist. Uh, I don't know. So, we'll figure something else out for you, Daniel, all right? You can come over and play video games in my house or something. Uh, do your thumbs work? Thumbs work? No, they, oh, they do work. Okay. That's good. Uh, next midweek, 17th of April, and uh, as we discussed previously, at the end of the month, we will have uh, uh, regional services, regional meal services, uh, uh, to get some great time together. Uh, and, yeah, that sounds good. We do have something coming up in May. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week, but uh, just a, uh, a fundraiser thing to help raise uh, some funds for needs within us within the fellowship, uh, and, uh, and so Michelle's come up with a clever way to do all that, but she'll, she'll share it next week, all right? Let's look here. Uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're creeping along. I was joking with you that we've been in it for way too long, perhaps, uh, and we're not really going to finish chapter 26 even today. Uh, but let's look here. Matthew 26. If you were with us last week, we talked about the Last Supper, or really the First Supper, uh, and, and the significance of the Passover behind and how Jesus, you know, obviously inserted himself into that uh, to help him see that he, help everyone see that he's the fulfillment of that festival uh, and he's doing something very new, you know. And, uh, so we read there Matthew 26, uh, 17 all the way down to, uh, to 29. Uh, verse 30 is kind of a transition verse, but it's an interesting one uh, when you think about uh, where they've come from, right? They've had this Passover meal. Uh, Jesus has taken two of the... Uh, not the central, but kind of secondary concepts of them, the, the bread and the cup. Uh, and he said, look, they're both actually about me. Uh, he completely omitted the lamb, which was the central part of that Passover meal, uh, you know, which the disciples are soon going to realize that they hadn't already, that that, that was him. He was that Passover lamb. Uh, you know, and, and traditionally, as you close out the Passover meal, they would sing uh, a various, you know, they would, they would recite or sing uh, Psalms 113 to 118. You know, and it says there in verse 30 they, that when they, they sung a hymn, uh, they went out to the Mount Olives. And, and, and so it's in the context of those psalms what unfolds next, which is quite interesting. Because if you just skim those psalms, uh, you know, some of the key, key parts are the, of them. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you his servants, praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord uh, be praised both now and forevermore. Psalm 114, tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Psalm 116, again, 
you know, praising God. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Psalm 117, verse 2, For great is His love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. We sing that as a song. It, it's all about praising God. For His incredible power, what He will accomplish, what He can do. And literally, this is what we read. That's the next thing that happens. Verse 31. It says, And Jesus told them this very night, You will all fall away on account of Me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away, on account of you I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night the roost, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. It's a massive switch in mood. Praising God, thanking God for His faithfulness, uh, but the shadow of the cross already looming over Jesus. The reality of what lies ahead for the disciples ha- has been hinted at numerous times before, but now it hits them like a sledgehammer. It's going to be a time of sifting for them. You know, and so we'll look at this text and what follows, uh, but before we do that, let's have a prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank You. We thank You for the, the, really the deep complexity of your love and your faithfulness enduring forever, but also the reality that our lives at times are incredibly more difficult because we follow you. And God, we pray that this afternoon you help us as we look at your word. We ask you to send your spirit among us to you know, convict us and help us to see really the futility of following self of listening to our own will, our own thoughts, our own desires, and and rather learning to trust in You, in Your will, in Your plan, in Your desires, and what You see as being truly life, God. Help us in this, God. We cannot do that change. We we cannot experience the the freedom that that You give uh, without Your help and without Your assistance, God. And we ask You to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It, It is sobering. I mean... 31 would I think the disciples at that point were probably already spinning a little bit because there was no lamb. They would have already thought, Passover, you have lamb. But the hymns begun to be sung, and you know, maybe they thought it was going to be an open barbecue. South Africans would have liked that, right? Maybe that's why they're going to Gethsemane. Maybe that's what's happening. I mean, they did camp out at the Passover. Jerusalem was so flooded. And you had to stay, uh, you know, within the limits of the city. And, and Gethsemane was kind of towards the outer limits near Bethpage, that being the out, complete outer limit. And so they're camping out. Maybe they thought that's what was going to happen. And instead, Jesus has, outlines a very, a very different path that's coming for them. You know, he tells them, you, you're going to fall away. And we hear that word and we, we, we sometimes misunderstand a little bit what that means, right? Uh, you know, fall away, lose faith. Uh, some translations, you know, say "take offense at me." It's kind of a cool Greek word, "scandalizo," which I think we should bring that into English. That's kind of that sounds nice, "scandalizo," right? Uh, but it means a trap, a stumbling block. They don't they don't fall away in the sense that that like you know books like Hebrews in the Bible talk about. Right? They don't lose faith completely. They don't lose their salvation. They don't they don't fully abandon Jesus and go back to their their, their former way of life. But they're going to have a serious last lapse. And their and their commitment to them. they're going to be they're going to be stunned they're going to be caught up you know unexpectedly which is miraculous considering the number of times he tells them what's coming you know but but they're they're going to go through an extremely rough rough patch 
You know, and, and Jesus is confident that that's what's happening. He knows the scripture in Zechariah 13, which he quotes there, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He knows that's about him. And he knows, therefore, because that's about him, that he's going to be struck and that's going to be for our sins to get rid of that maggoty possum out of our heart, right? Uh, but, but the byproduct of that striking will be that the disciples will scatter. The shepherds are going to be struck and the sheep are going to scatter. It's, it's going to happen. God's words declared it. It's been decreed since before Jesus was born into this world. Uh, you know, and, and, and Jesus has told them this is coming numerous times. Uh, and, and he's even given them the hope of verse 32. But, but after he's risen, he's going to go ahead into Galilee. But Peter doesn't want to hear it. Peter's response, verse 30, even if all these guys fall away on a county, I'm not going to. Here we see emerging the, the, the problem of all of mankind. Here's what God says is going to happen. But here's what we think is going to happen. All right? The beginning of this battle for will. you know, And, and Peter, he's just as resolute, just as confident as Jesus. Uh, Jesus ups the ante a little bit, right? Truly I tell you, meaning amen, amen, I tell you. Uh, we say amen at the end of a prayer. He says it at the start because he doesn't need our confirmation. Doesn't matter if we agree that it's going to happen. And, and he gets even more specific. Peter, before the night's over, three times you're going to deny me. Right? Peter still doesn't want to bargain. You know, we do, we, do, we do rip on Peter a little bit. I would you know, encourage you to look closely at verse 35. Uh, he's not alone. Right? He declares he'll die. And all the other disciples said the same. Okay, they, you know, he obviously left them out in the first part, but the second part, they're, they're all saying this, right? They're all declaring all their will, all their desire is saying that's not going to happen, Jesus. That's not what we're going to do. All right? God's declared it. Doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, Peter's, the other disciples, they match Jesus' confidence with what they think will happen according to their own perspective. Now the problem is that Jesus knows what will unfold. He knows all things. All right? uh, he knows what lays directly in head, ahead of Peter, and Peter can recoil all he wants, uh, but, but the reality is, God knows. You know, and, and, and Peter and the other disciples, they are so self-confident, so self-assured that they know, but they are so wrong. <laughs> Right, and, and, and like I said before, here en route to, to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you know, which literally means you know, you know, pressing of <laughs> pressing of uh, an olive to get the oil out. You know, we we see this uh, vividly played out this internal battle that you know occurs within us day in and day out, numerous times each day. This this we want this, we desire this, my will thinks this, but God says this. Mm-hmm. Again, they're vividly portraying it. They're, you know, they're talking about it. They're having this discussion. For, for most of us, uh, a lot of times it's just in our head and our heart and our gut. It's back and forth of, of who's right, me, me or God. And this happens, look, with, with major things. Significant life events. Terminal diagnosis. We don't want that, but, but, but that's what's happening. We don't want to see loved ones pass. But that's what happens. We don't want to see relationships crumble and fall apart, but it happens. And again, our will wants to rail against it, but God's got a purpose. His will's not going to change. It happens with little things. 
Should I watch cricket or should I read the Bible? I mean, it's, it's, so, it's such an all-encompassing uh, experience that, that you've probably had in life. Of You want this and you think this is what's right and this is what you think the future, how, how it should unfold and, and yet you begin to realize, no, it's not God's plan. Our will and God's will. And, and our wills are complex. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it's difficult to think about, right? In Jewish thought, the mind was the intellect, your gut was the feelings, the emotions, and they met in the heart and, you know, they battled it out and, and whatever your heart decides, that's where it comes to. That's the direction of your life. That's why Proverbs says, hey, guard your heart. That's the center. <laughs> that's the core decision making, right? It's, you know, not just the head, not just the, stuff, the gut. It's a little bit of both. We've got to watch it. You know, and, and, and deep within us, this battle ensues. Desires of our heart, the, the desires of our souls for the course of life versus God's will. And, it, and it's not just the disciples' problem, it's all of humanity's problem. And it's not just their problem, it, it's for sure our problem. Right? And not being aligned. And, and that realization alone, the host, that exchange that, that you see between Peter and the other disciples and, against Jesus, uh, should make us pause. It should make us stop and think for a minute. Right? That, 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 that all of humanity is subjected to this. No one's exempt from it. Our minds, our thoughts are not God's mind and they're not His thoughts. That to me is one of the great evidences for the truth of the Bible. If you're going to concoct a religion, why would you make it uh, cut against your own will at nearly every step of the way? Right? I mean, that's what the disciples did. If they just concocted it and made it all up themselves, why make it so counter to the will of man? It doesn't make any sense. You know, that, that to me is good evidence, right? Uh, but it's also a sober reminder that, that, that I, I, don't, I don't have the mind of God. But what I want and what I think, it not, it's not necessarily going to align. And again, like I said, that alone should cause us to pause. But then you, you think about how, how stubbornly resistant Peter and the apostles are to this thought. It's a fiery exchange. Jesus quotes scripture to them and they still counter it back. I mean, Peter's already gone down this road a little bit once and Jesus called him Satan. Right? Get behind me, Satan. You don't have a mind of things of God, but of man. But, but here he goes again. You know, and, and it's a reminder of the stubbornness of our will. You know, Proverbs twenty six twelve. you don't need to turn there, but do you see a person wise in her own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. You know, Peter, and for that matter, the, the other apostles as well, they, they don't, they, they become out of touch with the reality that the depth of our will can stand in opposition to God. That thought's eluded them. They become blind to it. They think they know what's best. And the problem is way deeper than just their eyesight or their ears, right? It's like putting a telescope to a blind eye. It's not going to fix it. It's, 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 it's a problem deep, deep within. It's the problem we all share. We don't want to see truth, therefore we say we cannot see it. And my goodness, we need God's help. If the apostles, the eleven that's remaining, because Judas is already gone, if this was a struggle for them, for sure it is for us. Right? And it should, again, humble us, you know, and, and, and yet, thankfully, there is help, right? Because what follows is is the way. I mean, our wills, what do we learn there? Man, they're stubborn and we can be willfully blind 
even when having God Himself giving us clear direction. Right? Uh, you know, and, and 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 thankfully, verses thirty-six and on follow. So let's read those and let's see the way, and then the way to get our will aligned with God's. It says then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, "Sit here while I go over there and pray." He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, "My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me." Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, "My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will." Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away at once went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is uh, a jewel of a passage. Right? I mean, entire books are written on these verses. Right? Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal passage because it, it, it gives us a glimpse into the depths of Jesus' soul. It, it, it opens the curtain and allows us to see this, this interaction of, of a man that is fully God but is also fully man. The, 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 the divinity of Jesus but also, man, the, the humanity of Jesus. You know, and, and he is at a, a, a crossroads in his life. It shows us how he accepts, uh, not as a regrettable necessity, necessity, but the Father's will, despite his human will, for something different. And the crossroads that he finds himself in is, is one that, that we would probably never face. And it's not like he's going to it easily, right? I mean, two things before we look at, you know, kind of how he aligns his will. I mean, his emotional state is perhaps beyond what any of us will ever, ever feel, right? I mean, NIV there says, you know, in, in verse 38, that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Sorry, in verse uh, 37, that, that he began to be sorrowful and troubled, right? I mean, sorrowful and troubled is pretty, it, it, literally, it's anguish and distress. It's not that he's just feeling sad and he's a little bit grumpy and troubled anguish and distress. In, in verse 38, which I started to read before, right? That, that his soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Luke tells us he is, he is sweating blood. Enormous emotional distress. Again, how often do simply our emotions derail us in this battle of wills? It happens a lot. Jesus is at the, the, the highest level uh, of emotional uh, you know, danger and drama. Literally, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And secondly, the, the crossroads that lay before him is, is the cup. Right? And the cup, in, in Jewish thought, is the cup of God's wrath. I mean, think about that. We, we debate between uh, sport and Bible study. Right? On the minor level. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, it's serious things, right? It's life and death as well. And here he is, life and death. And not the life of someone else, his own. And not just the death. The idea of, I'm never known sin, I'm going to become sin. 
never known separation from the eternal Father, he's going to experience separation. Came from heaven, came to earth, going to go to hell for an undeserving people. You know, I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but the idea that, that, that Jesus dies for the faith in a way that none of his followers die for the faith. Right? I mean, Irenaeus is a famous guy in, in, in church history, you know, lived uh, a century or two after Jesus. He, he's facing martyrdom, being put to death by the Roman empires. Uh, and, and his response is, bring on the fire. It's not my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He's like, bring, bring on the beast, Polycarp says. Let him, let him, let him tear me to shreds. Peter, who's having a rough spell here, will eventually say, fine, Rome, crucify me. But crucify me upside down because I'm unworthy to be crucified like Jesus. Uh, Jesus' followers face, face the prospect of death very differently than Jesus faces the prospect of death. And that tells us that his death is not like our death. His death is a billion times worse than our death. His suffering, the agony he's faced, I mean, the cup is not the flogging, which we often emphasize. Have you ever think about the fact of how brutal flogging is? And the Bible gives one word for it. It doesn't give all the big you know, description of the physical, because that's not actually the cup. It's far, far worse. It is the judge of all creation stepping off the judgment seat and taking the judgment that we deserve upon himself. That's the cup. That's the battle between his will at this moment. Again, it doesn't minimize our struggles, but man, it should give us some perspective. I mean, we get caught up in this battle of wills between way, way, way lesser things. And yet here he is. Emotionally in a state beyond what we would ever face and, and in the crossroads of God's will and his in a way that we would never face. And yet he emerges victorious. Verse 46. Rise, let's go. He could have avoided the whole thing, right? I mean, Judas knew where they would be. Gethsemane was their campsite. Okay? Says he stayed there often. He could have just not gone there. Judas's plan fails. He lives on. But he doesn't. He sets the course of his life to face this crossroads. Now, how does he, how does he uh, emerge victorious? How does he align his will so that we can also learn to do the same? Let's, let's look at four things pretty briefly here. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. All right, so four things. Four, they're not steps, okay? They're, they're variables for the mix, okay? I know we like steps. Tell me the four-step plan. It's not four steps. Uh, it's four variables, four, four things we've got to bring into the mix, right, to help us choose God's will over our own. You know, first uh, is, again, no, no particular order, memorization. Memorization. Uh, Jesus knows the Bible, okay? And yes, there's a caveat. I mean, he is the Word made flesh, okay? So it's a lot easier for him uh, to, to know Bible, right? But, but he quotes it constantly. He relies on it constantly. When Peter pushes back, what does he bring? Scripture. When Satan tempts him in the wilderness, does he respond with his own logic, his own ideas? No, he responds, well, I guess they are kind of because it's Scripture, right? But he quotes Scripture. Over and over and over again. I mean, you think about this battle between wills. If you don't know Scripture, you're given into ignorance. <laughs> Your will is going to triumph because that's all you know. 
if you just put your head in the sand and don't even, you know, don't even consider that there's a potential for a different path than the one you choose, then you for sure are going to follow yours. And, and God is very clear about what the end game is. Because as we choose to not listen to Scripture, what are we saying? We're saying, my will. And you know what God will say? Your will. People rail against God. How could, God, how could a loving God send people to hell? A loving God gives people over to their choice. A loving God respects people's decision. You, you choose in this temporary life to follow your own will and give no thought to God's, then have that. You don't understand where that leads to. You don't understand the price I've paid to give you an exemption from that. But if that's what you choose, then that's where you'll go. Again, we've got to think about that. How are we doing reading the Bible? How are we doing memorizing the Bible? How are we doing, you know, infusing our, our, our emotions and our intellect with God's Word? I mean, as this unfolds and, and Jesus faces this, this wrath of God, it's, it's, it's Scripture He's quoting for His disciples, and it's Scripture He's praying as He's on the cross. Infused with God's Word. His mind and His heart and His soul and His will. How about us? And Paul writes, Romans 12, hey, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can be conformed to the will of the world. I mean, that, it, it looks good. It tastes good. It's, it's pleasure here and now. But it is so dangerously short-sighted. And Paul says, hey, you've got you to change your mind. You've got to renew your mind. We do that by listening to God. There's another thing that happens when we fill our heart and our mind in our gut with, with Scripture is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you desires of your heart. It doesn't mean uh, like the, the prosperity false gospel teaches of you seek God, He's going to give you whatever you want. That's not what that means. You stay faithful to God, He's going to bless you with a Ferrari. That, that's not God's plan for your life, okay? Uh, you know, even giving, right? You think, oh, I give the church, God's going to give back. A lot of churches teach it. That's rubbish. You can't, you, can't, you can't read the Scriptures with any level of integrity and walk away and thinking that. I mean, Jesus, the follower, the, 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 I mean, the starter whom we all follow, literally is crucified naked. The, the highest form of shame in the Roman Empire. This is not about improving your life, okay? It's about saving your soul. Right? But if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He begins to change our hearts. So a whole lot more, our will does actually align with God's will. Now, if we delight in the world and the pleasures of the world, that conflict is going to be stronger and stronger and more frequent. But if we delight ourselves in the Lord and we delight ourselves in His law, our will and God's will become a lot closer. You know, secondly in this text, right? Jesus doesn't just quote Scripture, but but remarkably, okay? Remarkably, he, He goes from the upper room to to Gethsemane with the guys that are going to deny him. And then he gets there and, 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 you know, lowers the numbers a little bit, takes the three, Peter, James, and John, with him. Uh, And and, and even though they're the ones that were probably perhaps most vocal against the path that lies ahead, and, and, and he knows they're going to fail, and yet he still draws near to them. It's interesting. He doesn't isolate himself. He doesn't close himself off to others, even though they have proved to be borderline useless at times. <laughs> right? When you consider their track record over the, uh, track record over the course of, of 
uh, all we read in Matthew and what Jesus has said lies ahead, you'd think he would view them as, as unworthy and not helpful. And yet he actually brings them close. Even when he finds them sleeping, he continually comes back with them to connect with them. You know, companions. And this battle of will, not living in isolation is crucial. I mean, if we really believe that, that what the Bible says about spiritual blindness is true, in uh, our capacity to be blind, isolation is silly. We need, we need more eyes in our life. Yeah. We need more people that are willing to, to, to speak truth and love into our lives. You know, this battle for wills, it for sure involves scripture, but it also involves having some great companions as well. Thirdly, what else we see here is, is the power of expression. The power of expression. You know, three times here, Jesus, you know, depending on how you read it, perhaps four times, he cries out to God. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't, he doesn't mask how he feels about it. He straight up asks, is there another way? Is there a different way to handle this? Is there a different way to bring about the salvation of mankind? He is is voicing. He is lamenting. He is borderline complaining. You know, and and he is uh, doing it all at God. And I think sometimes we're we're so conditioned to, to want to say what's right rather than what is real, we miss out on the benefit of actually just being flat out, you know, honest about what's in there. And, and, and you think Jesus, he, he models it here. He models it as he, as he goes to the Father with, with deep feelings about the situation. I mean, there's, a, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. I mean, there's, there's entire subsets of the Psalms called complaint songs. You know what I mean? You read the, the prophets and, and they are constantly vividly raising their disagreement concerning God and His plan and His purposes. I mean, David, you read the Psalms, David is not filtering. He says shocking things. The preteens are in here today. We won't talk about them. But for those that, you know, go, go, go search heads of infants in the Psalms. The rawness of the emotion which David pours out to God. I mean, Psalm 73 is one of my favorites. I mean, David looks at the world and says, man, all the people who hate you and don't follow you, they prosper. And here I am following you, suffering. Anyone felt that? Anyone vented that on God? We're too politically correct, I think, sometimes with God. We try to put on our best, you know, our Sunday best clothes and, you know, Sunday best words and, 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 and talk to you about rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> Where it would do our hearts a lot of good in this battle of wills if we just were honest. Because it's interesting what happens when you're honest. It's a lot harder to be deceived. Right? I mean, Peter's saying, look, even if everyone else falls away, I'm not going to. Peter for sure had a mingling of doubt in there. I mean, when Jesus counters him back and he again says, I mean, I'm going to die for you. I mean, in, in less than probably five hours, Peter's going to be running away from a little servant girl. And yet, five hours earlier, I'll die for you. Again, if, he, if, he's, all, if he's honest, then he, then he knows his heart more. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting on the glossy cover, no, no. Be real. 
You know, if you're interested, a great book on this is The Lost Language of Lament by Michael Card. Phenomenal exposition of that. Goes through the Psalms, goes through the prophets, goes through Lamentations, looks at Jesus, and talks about this, this, this idea that, man, we need to verbalize this. How are we doing on time? Running low on time. Romans 7 is another phenomenal passage to read. Right? You know what I'm talking about, Romans 7? You know, Paul, what I want to do is, 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 is uh, not what I do, and what I don't want to do, that is what I do. And he goes back and forth on this dilemma that occurs within, all, within our minds all the time. Yeah. But what's he talking about? He's talking about this battle of wills. Yeah. But, but it's, you read it, and it's almost like a prayer. Paul voicing. Here's what's going on, and how does it end? Paul borderline exasperated, saying what? Who can save me? Praise God for Jesus. And I think when we vent, that's what begins to happen. We get it out, and we begin to see God a little bit clearer. But if we keep it in, we become blind. You know, fourthly, lastly, again, not in the order, but just, you know, a variable. We've got to for sure be memorized, you know, practice memorization. We've got to for sure have companions. We've got to for sure have expressions. Uh, And and fourth and lastly, uh, submission goes along with all those things. I mean, with each, with each prayer, Jesus expresses, but He puts a buffer on. Yet not as I will, but as You will. Here's what I feel. Take this cup from me. I don't want to drink the cup of wrath. I don't want to be separated from You. I don't want to take on the sins of the world. Take it away. Is there another way? But not my will, but Yours. It's almost like an emergency break. (laughs) He is open to the idea that what he wants is not what God wants. You know, and there's that that, that humility that that doesn't leave him. It's always there, this idea that I I might not be right. So you know what? Not not what I will, but what God's will. Does it just magically happen the first time? Numerous times. <laughs> Several times. But, but that's a possibility. And I think too often we get prayer backwards. You know, Timothy Keller writes, he says, the basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will into His. A lot of times we can go to God and, and, and it's more of us trying to persuade Him yeah. to change what He thinks. I mean, the Bible it does have examples of that. But they are a minority. They're not, they're not the common. And I mean, God may do that, but He might not. Maybe it's not about changing His mind and maybe it's about changing yours. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not you setting the, the, the course and the direction. Maybe it's about you getting on board with, with the course he's setting. All right? And we've got to come with that submissive spirit that that is a very real possibility. And when we do that and we mix the, bring these, these uh, variables into the mix of this battle and this crossroads, what happens? I mean, Jesus there, verse 46, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. You know, the verb that's translated there, that it has no idea of retreat, but rather advance. You think about that. You think about what he's advancing into. You think about what he's standing up and quickly, let's get to this. It's defeat, it's shame, it's rejection, it's brutality, it's hell. And yet there he goes. Not with his will, but with God's will. 
Do you think about you or me when, we, when we're at that crossroads and, crossroads and we're trying to do God's will? It's like, oh, like every step is painful. We're like Lot's wife looking back. I mean, that's not Jesus. That's not Him. You know, when we're at that crossroads, man, we've got to stop and look at Jesus. And think, He makes that decision to choose God's will rather than His for our good. And Hebrews 2 says that by doing that, sorry, Hebrews 1 says that by doing that, He is going to free us from enslavement to that sinful nature. To give us the ability to choose His will. I mean, if He doesn't do that, we will never win that battle. It's only because He does that that we are then enabled to do that. To choose God's will. To, to turn our backs on, on sin and the sinful nature and, and Satan and all the schemes and choose to follow God's will. And think about the price He paid to make that a reality. I mean, that should make us trust Him. The fruits of our own lives prior to doing what we want to do should make us skeptical of our will. Right? I, mean, I spent a lot of years of my life following, you know, the, the, the triad of Sam, the trinity of Sam, me, myself, and I, right? Serving that God. Where did it leave me? It led me flat out depressed and thinking about taking my own life. Why would I trust that over Jesus? <laughs> Why would I think my ideas or my direction or my will is going to pan out better in my life versus what Jesus does? Laying down His life for me. The battle is a battle we'll fight to the day we stand before Him. It's a battle we must fight. And man, we, we need His Word. Right? We need one another. We need to learn to be honest about what we feel and think. Right? And we've got to have that submissive, humble spirit to our God. We call Him Lord. Yeah. The day you got baptized, you said Jesus is Lord. That is an expression of submission. Right? Let's be a people that follow His will and serve His will and, and advance His gospel into the world. Amen? Amen. Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand together and, uh, and sing one final song.